You are now listening to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Mr. Doug Taylor. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. All right, because when I was like, I'm going to say Doug Taylor, you're like, a.k.a. Herp Hound. So you have to tell me the backstory behind Herp Hound. Because when you say that to people, people that don't know what herptology is are going to be like, you have a bloodhound that has herpes? Yeah, or they look at my lips very carefully. <laughs> So, um, herpetology is a study of reptiles and amphibian and amphibians, and that certainly that's my passion. And a hound is a dog that goes out and finds them. And I am a field herper, and I like to go out and find the uh, native species in California and bring awareness to those species that we have that most people aren't aware of, and uh, put a little bit of a conservation message and spin on it by uh, saying that hey, you can love these animals and appreciate them even if you don't like them. Now, if we're talking about the original way I was thinking of her pound, I've been called that before because we tend to go trolling for some ladies and a lot of them aren't, I would say, the cleanest, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) If if we're going to talk about the, first of all, um, reptiles and any types of lizards in general, just the study of herptology, what made you get so interested in this? Because this is something that I think few people ever want to own one of these creatures or to even be around. Most of the time they're stigmatized as pretty scaly and disgusting. And I've talked to a few herptologists, my buddy, he's fascinated with collecting snakes and you know, he's all about reptiles and his favorite animal is a snake. And I was looking at him and during a podcast we were on, I was talking to him. I was like, the snake is a perfect representation for you because like for so long through school, he just, he didn't, he, he was gay, but he never came out of the closet. And I, I was telling him, I was like, cause you're afraid. Cause you shed your skin. You were afraid to be out known to the public. And it was like this deep meaning. I don't want to spout it off like a fortune cookie in here. But he was like, yeah, but I, he connected most with that animal, not feeling in the right place, seeing different by the public. And I was like, because you were afraid to come out of your skin or go into a new form. You know, that's, that's funny that you bring that up because I've just recently been fired and subsequently retired from a job where I had zero passion for, and it really was something that was disgusting me. It was paying off victims of police abuse. And my job was basically to try to get the best settlements. And it was just tearing me up inside. And my outlet is to get outside and appreciate nature and to get away from it all. And now that since I have left that job and I have full time to just herp, I feel so much healthier emotionally about it. I mean, it's great when you start going after something you're passionate about. I think what you just explained is what a lot of people are afraid of is the fact of like losing a job. But I'm like, 
if we haven't noticed with this whole isolation that we've been going through, it's like, this is the perfect time to look inside yourself and be like, what am I actually like wanting to do? I mean, you're working at a company doing something you hate every single day, just for the object of a pay, or like, I guess a paycheck, but you look closer at yourself. You're like, wait, why don't I travel? Why don't I go explore what the world has to offer? Because I mean, at the rate we're going, it's not going to be around forever. Absolutely. And since this time I've had a chance to, uh, teach my passion to a couple of kids that are being homeschooled and take them out on little hikes, being socially um, distant and, and so forth. But I've had friends that I've met through my regular job that knew this was my passion and thought they would latch on to me and get me to teach my, my passion and love for the outdoors in a, in a constructive manner. And so I've decided to make that my uh, full-time pursuit in advocation is I'm just going to go back to teach in reptiles and amphibians classes and native species classes uh, to kids because I think that adults usually by the time that you're an adult you've made up your mind about reptiles and amphibians you've already decided you don't like them and I connect well with kids I have four kids of my own um, three of which would have graduated from college uh, two with uh, um, degrees in and you know the outdoors so i've had some success there with them and certainly want to build on that and i really um appreciate the opportunity to in my life right now to have that well let me tell you something you're about to educate one of the hardest people I would say to educate in the world, and that's me. I want I want you to take me on a basically your full routine, what you do with a brand new student. Obviously, you have to educate them on reptiles, the dangers of them as well, but also the beauty that lies behind them. A lot of stuff that gets stigmatized. Um, I have, I mean, when it comes to lizards, I out of respect wouldn't own one, only because I know my buddy has like bearded dragons and those types that go into the, uh, you know, the tanks and they have the heat lamps. That gets really complicated for me, and I can't really hold down a betta fish, even though they don't need much. So it's like out of respect for the animal, I'm not going to keep it, but it's, they're fun to look at. But ever since I was a little kid, I mean, we used to take trips up to Florida, and what's common in Florida is they have the little geckos that stick onto the glass. And I remember as a little kid just looking at those things and just seeing the beauty of it all, the little red gizzards that they would have, and you would sit there and watch them in the sunset. I'm like, this is perfect, which I think a lot of people just, you know, nowadays without going outside or something, they're seeing it on TV. So they're seeing these crazy movies like Reptile NATO or something ridiculous that shows it in such a bad light. Boy, you're lucky to have grown up in Florida. And that's some place where I really want to go herping myself. Um, I got into the passion because my dad would take me out uh, mineral hunting. And uh, I was so bored by that. But I was fascinated by the things that would scurry out from underneath the rocks. Kind of like you had that experience in Florida. We have blue bellies out here in California and they have bright blue underbellies. And you catch them, if you rub on their belly, they, they quickly kind of go in trance and fall asleep. And that was fun as a kid. And that kind of got me interested in, in reptiles and a lot of other kids. It's their first experience with nature, our little frogs, a tiny snake. And parents often want to take that opportunity to instill fear. And if they only took that or turn that around and go, oh, that's a cute little creature and appreciate or respect it, 
there's a whole different message that they could give. Now, rattlesnakes are the most feared animal out here in California, and venomous snakes are what most people are fearful of. So just learning how to identify them is crucially important for everyone to know. And even if you're not a reptile enthusiast, there's so few venomous species in, in the United States that it's really easy to recognize them. Um, for example, in Florida, you have your cotton mouse, you have your coral snake, and you have your copperheads, and then rattlesnakes. All of those are pit vipers except for the uh, coral snake, which is brightly colored. So those are pretty easy and recognizable snakes. Those are the ones that you have to give respect and distance to. All the other ones are harmless. Well, they're just trying to live just like we are. See, the thing is, we look at them and we see, even if we see them, it's me like, oh, this thing's going to come and kill me. And I mean, I've had a few encounters with like black snakes that we have down here, but I just know they're harmless. If it does, if you don't really fuck with it, it's not going to fuck with you. I just don't like it if I'm like standing by my shed because they like this go under the shed. So like you hear them, like, you know, you can basically hear them or see them down there. And I'm just like, my feet are right here. I'm like, if you wanted to, you could take a quick nip of my ankle, but I'm like, they never do it. You know what I mean? It's, it's that whole thing. I think at one point I, we were doing something near the shed and it, one started kind of going towards my brother and my grandpa hit it with a rake. And this is when I discovered that they have a defense mechanism, which is like their body or their tail or something. I think it's like after they die, it keeps moving. So it kind of seemed like it's still alive because like it was on this rake, but it, it's whole, it's whole thing. Like it was, it was dead. But it just kept moving and flipping around. I'm like, what's happening right now? Is it seizuring? What is it? It's like, no, this is a defense mechanism. I'm like, what would that protect from if you're a predator? Well, actually, if you're a predator, some of those, the, the nerves of snakes live on for, for sometimes even hours after they die. And even if you chop off the head of a, of a rattlesnake, you have to be careful because they can still bite and inject venom even after the head has been chopped off. So that's something you wanna really be careful of. I don't advocate chopping heads off of snakes, but it's a mistake that has been made by people is they don't respect that. So the best thing to do, if you're not familiar with uh, the snake is just to let it go on its way or call an expert to uh, remove it. I do a lot of relocations of rattlesnakes because people don't want them in public areas. I'd say about, nine out of 10 relocations go without a snake ever striking or even um, getting angry. And I try to relocate those snakes very close to where they've been picked up, but just into a, a little bit safer environment. Because rattlesnakes don't travel very far from their um, place of birth their entire life. I've studied them um, extensively for years. And uh, they once they've been wiped out of an area, they usually don't repopulate re that area. So that's why there's only a few places that remain that do have rattlesnakes, but some of those places are really heavily populated by them. Well, it's much like we were saying, well, in the beginning, like we we're talking about, I think what um, 
you know, it's that when we're at ch- we're a child, I guess that age is when we're so pure, we don't really know, we're not afraid of really a lot of things. You know, we know I'm outside with a butterfly net trying to put them in a freaking container or something. But I remember grabbing frogs with my hands and like, you know, running around. And then I remember my grandma scaring me so much about the frog thing where I just didn't want to pick them up anymore. Obviously, um, I'm trying to lick them as well. I didn't know the whole, I mean, I was young, so you did, I didn't know, apparently you could trip out or something. I didn't know any of that. So I don't, I've never experienced a trip like that. I actually got a ward on my tongue from it. But, uh, when I was, you know, catching these frogs and stuff, she was like, you know, that's disgusting. Get flus, all these different types of things and infections. And my grandpa's just looking at me. Like, I remember when I was doing that, when I was a kid, you know, like talking like that. And I, I stopped doing it. And I think I kind of got scared of trying to do it again. Like I've seen frogs in the road. I've seen a bunch of things. And usually I try and help. Like I'll try and like, you know, move it off the road or do something. I actually watched my buddy recorded a video of him picking up a bullfrog and trying to hop it across the road, but he's too afraid to touch it. So the, it's like a 30 second video of him grabbing it and letting go and screaming, then grabbing it, and letting go and screaming. I'm like, dude, you have it in your hands, just move it. Like, you know, and it was just so funny to watch that. But I was like, that stems from when you're a kid and your mom, your dad, somebody tells you that that is a disgusting animal filled with infections. The same thing with a bird feather. I'm like, that's bullshit. Cause I have a collection of bird feathers and I haven't, I've only gotten majorly sick one time. <laughs> well, I'm glad you agree because there's nothing in handling of reptiles or amphibians that's ever made me sick. And of course, the one thing that I have to bring to parents' attention is, is don't touch turtle shells. You might get salmonella, even though I've never heard of any kid where that's happened. Is that true? It is, it is true. You can get it. F, there is oh, salmonella okay. around. Hang on, on a second. I have, I have to add this. I have never – I've touched many turtles. I like to pet them. I th- that's mm-hmm. my thing. I don't know what it is. It's that, and when I go into Walmart, I like to crush uh, one of the little candies in the wrappers. So I don't know. It's just – it's something about me. I'm sorry. I can't help it. Um, but when I grab a turtle, I've never gotten salmonella. But you know what I have gotten salmonella from? Fucking honey smacks. So I'm just tossing that out there. So I already can <laughs> – I can annihilate that right there. Yes. So turtles are usually the, the only uh, acceptable reptile parent or, or reptile pet that uh, parents allow their kids to have, but they want to talk them out of it. Um, turtles aren't the greatest pets, mainly because they live for a long, long time. It's your grandkids' pet once they die. That's what it is. Exactly. The kids get bored with it after a while. So then the parents want to do the wrong thing with it, which is, oh, let's let it go in the wild. That's why turtles are the worst pet oftentimes for kids to learn. Yeah, you find a lot of dead turtles, at least down here in my town. You see a lot crushed on the road or something, like some person swerved into them with their car. I was like, how hard is it to either stop, move it, or try and go around it or something like i mean we pay more respect to our geese down here like i don't know if you've ever seen ron white special on netflix but he talks about when he tried to run for president he wanted to build a net between america and canada to keep those fucking geese out of here because they walk with such confidence where they're walking across the road looking at you like you're not going to hit me like they (laughs) they will stand there forever and people stop and they wait and I'm like, guys, just drive, honk, do whatever, then move them because they don't give a shit about you. They walk with such big balls confidence. And I'm like, but no one ever like stops for a turtle. We'll stop for geese. I'm like, stop for a turtle. Those things are dope. I mean, they don't do much. 
when it comes to like, I guess what we consider a pet or an animal, like you said, kids getting bored, but they're just beautiful to look at. Build a net for the Canadian geese or the Canada goose. That's an interesting one. I'm kind of all for it because I hate those damn bastards right? too. And they're infiltrators. As soon as Ron really White said that, I was like, shit they create um, <laughs> in California, since they come down here where I'm from, they have dogs to chase them off of, of courses. They have people that have to remove tons and tons of their waste because they get down here and they're, they, they decide the weather's fine all year long. We're going to stay. And so now we have resident Canada geese and they just shit up a lot of the native ponds. So let me tell you something. When I had those, I bought a box of honey smacks and I got salmonella from it. When I was severely sick that day, I went to Walmart again, and that's where I found out about the poisoning and all that. But on my way back, it's like one of those moments where you're like, I'm going to speed. I don't care. I need to get home because I don't feel good, and I need to lie down. And a woman in front of me stopped. I live in an area called Ocean Pines. You can look it up. It is wildly known to have a large geese population. And these fucking things spent 45 minutes. I had to sit behind a woman who was afraid to start her car or go because these ducks were crossing the road. Now, they're smart. They wait for the whole family to cross. But once they all just got to the end of the road, I'm like, finally, here we go. Oh, I'm going to get home. She starts to drive. They all turn around and start walking the other way. I said, no fucking way and i started honking and honking the woman's like i can't do anything i'm like drive they'll move drive well um i'm kind of i have a little bit of sympathy for but not so much the uh the, the, the damn ducks but i road cruise out a lot for reptiles and amphibians including right here in my local town i go out and i save the snakes off of this um lakefront road where people will aim, actually aim for the snakes harmless or not and most of them are teenagers that just want to you know uh, are out there drinking beer and cranking their music too loud and cause a little ruckus that was me too back in the day but you don't have to kill the goddamn snake so i just go and try to save them off the road in front of their cars and sometimes they're like you honking behind me going get the freak out of the road weirdo well, is it like um that is that mindset or that way of thinking because they feel like they're also doing the world a service because of the way that they get mistreated, like by knowledge of snakes or knowledge of these reptiles? It seems like, you know, I know hipsters and the millennial generation, a lot of them aren't the best, but I think a lot of it comes from being so scared and warned as a kid that you see an ant, a creature like that. They're like, I'm going to hit it with my car and make sure nobody gets bit by this animal or nobody gets hurt by this animal. And it's like, hold on, that's not that's the probably a point zero 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 one percent chance of that happening if it does hurt anybody and that's only because you were probably encroaching where you're not supposed to be i wish that were true it's hard to say what the motivations of a teenager or even people are that just want to kill an innocent animal that's just trying to cross the road um it's true crime I, I, that's what it is it, it's true crime because the intentions are sex murder and that's basically what goes through a teenager's head. I don't know how many times I was like, do I want to bang this chick or do I want to see if I can push her off the top of this staircase and hit the ground? I'm just kidding, people. I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> so um, back to our reptiles and amphibians. Well, not, not everyone knows what a reptile or amphibian are, but out in Florida, you have alligators and crocodiles, I know. snakes, lizards, turtles, tortoises. Those are... Um, 
all the major groups of reptiles. As far as amphibians, uh, out here in California, we have a lot of different types of salamanders. I don't think you have too many types in, in, in Florida, but you have plenty of different types of frogs. Salamanders, newts, frogs, newts, amphumia are these uh, are the amphibian groups. Yeah, I'm. I visited Florida. I'm actually in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, actually close by there. It's a little town called Ocean City. We're surrounded by the bay and the water. So the only time we ever get to see reptiles is like our main thing is we're right by. The, we're on the beach. Our town is built on a beach. So Assateague is a popular horse and all this area tourist kind of spot. But if you go over there, like have a bonfire, you'll come across these little lizards and stuff. And I think that's my favorite out of all of that I could possibly learn out of herptology is the idea of reptiles. I just love the way they look. But when I mean reptiles, I mean more of lines of salamanders, lizards, these little things. Like I think there was one, people started getting in their fish tank. I don't know if that counts as an amphibian, but it's- Yeah, it, it is. It is African clawed frogs and also um, axolotls. What are, what are the things that are pink and they look like, I don't know. Yes, those are axolotls. Those yeah. are axolotls. And they're um, salamanders in their larval form. And here in California, they're illegal because they would uh, meet with tiger salamanders and hybridize. But some people do keep them as pets and they make a great pet. As a matter of fact, my niece um, just got a couple of them and they will live in, your, in, in, a, in a fish tank, in a clean fish tank for years and eat a variety of foods and they make a cool pet because they're um, pretty cute. Yeah, they're probably one of the, I would say the Kate Upton of the species. <laughs> Kate Upton. <laughs> I'm saying it's a beautiful creature. I mean, I think most of the time you go into a pet shop, like kids are looking at the dogs or if you're going to pick out fish, you start looking around like me, I get interested. I look over at the turtles, the lobsters, the other type of crazy, insane stuff. Um, Lizards, I just, like I said, it's a whole respect thing. I know how lazy I can get at times. And I'm like, I wouldn't be able to care for one of these creatures. But like my buddy is just loves reptiles. I mean, everything. And I mean, there's a specific memory I have of when I was like 15 years old, we're playing World of Warcraft and it's like freaking um, guest room or something. He's got this giant bearded dragon just sitting on his shoulder. I'm like, are you not worried? Like, how are you able to cast spells right now and be able to have this lizard on your shoulder? He's like, oh, this is James. I'm like, you named it. You named it. You went and named it. And then you see the people that like, I remember going into a GameStop. I get video games again. This dude had a freaking iguana on his shoulder. I'm like, that's for attention. I understand that. But at the same time, like, is that respectful to the animal? I feel like that might be doing a little bit of a disservice unless you're educating people on it. More like, hey, I got a freaking iguana on my shoulder. What are you going to do about it? Bearded dragons are um, very personable. And they have been bred in, in captivity for many years now and make an excellent pet. Iguanas, on the other hand, as they get bigger and older, they get more aggressive just by nature. And so they eventually become an aggressive pet. They make a terrible pet. They're very cute, small, but I know a very beautiful blonde woman that was in a reptile club that was disfigured by her pet iguana of, I think it was 22 years when it nearly took off her, her nose. She had to have three plastic surgeries on her nose because she was going to be feeding her iguana from her mouth she had you know she thought that was really cute and it bit her in the nose what the it took off, nearly took off her beautiful nose 
this is just like there's a video of wolves on YouTube you can look up, and a woman is letting these wolves open mouth lick her. Like, like she's putting her mouth right beside, and they're all snapping all beside each other trying to fight for dominance. She's like, the best thing to do is not to overreact. Let these animals come by and lick out of your mouth. I'm like, no fucking way I would ever do that in my entire life. It's not a fear aspect, but it's, I don't – I mean, even when a dog gets close to me, I'm like, no. No tongue yet. No tongue yet. It's the first date. Let's put it down. As you know, is stick to the petting. Okay, I'll pet you nicely, mm-hmm. but don't don't do any of that. But like, I mean, my experience with reptiles has always been super interesting, and I think very very weird, which is why I'm not so hated towards them like most people are. A lot of experiences people have is like being in a park, like you're saying with the rattlesnakes. The reason why you have to relocate these things is that sound. As soon as people hear that sound, they immediately think danger, danger, danger. You know, and I I think that's wrong. I think that, um, like, I, I mean, for for a simple experience, like when I found out that chameleons or these lizards, their tails can pop off as a defense mechanism. My buddy is just grabbing it by its tail and flicking it around, like, you know, like doing like making it like kind of like dance. And I'm sitting there watching it like I'm not touching that. And he's like, you know, fake throwing it at me like that, like, oh, because, oh, you know, I'm, I'm like not about getting involved with that. And he did it and the tail popped off and the thing flung at me and hit me in the face. I freaked out dude i have never lost my shit faster in my entire life but he was scared too his reptile's tail just popped off and he was like <gasps> and i was like dude and we're probably 14 15 years old so i mean we weren't educated on that's a defense mechanism so he's like i killed my pet i'm like i don't know what you did it's still crawling on the floor what do we do stomp it and he goes no, no 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 put it back in the tank you know blame it on something yeah the tails will wiggle long after um they've been uh taken off so it is kind of freaky and that is meant for the predator to go after and eat that protein rather than the rest of the animal so it is a defense mechanism as you point out and some of the tails we have um, on species out in california are bright blue or pink to make them even look more attractive but uh when they lose their tail and not all lizards are designed to to lose their tail only certain species are when they lose that tail it's a big investment that they have to do to replenish that fat source and to grow it back so you've just taken that from them they have to go out and forage that much harder to survive well thank god he was a pet because he didn't have to really move out of his tank but I do feel bad about that. I still think about it to this day. It's like when I killed, accidentally killed one of those little sand uh, sand crabs. I had one in a bottle, and I thought he was dead because he wasn't moving. And I like thought I could give it CPR. I was a child, okay? I thought I could give it CPR, and he died. I still think about it to this day. I literally, if I'm going to go to hell, it's because of that. I killed a freaking sand crab. <laughs> I love animals, man. This is why it's so interesting to me because, like, I'm the type of kid like it goes into a pet shop, looks at all the dogs and stuff, looks at the spiders for a little bit, gets freaked out. But I mean, I love them all. I mean, I just look at them like this is just another creature doing its thing, trying to get along. And I think that's the main thing I want to highlight here is like everyone out here listening has this idea or this mindset, at least most people do, that snakes and lizards and all these things need to get crushed. Same thing with spiders, need to get crushed. It's like, it's not true. I mean, they, play an important role i mean a lot of times you come across flies all these other types of things that can get easily killed by frogs get killed by other things that want to consume this and i think that's important like i mean i'm one of those kids where when i was learning about 
you know, doing research on amphibians and stuff, doing marine biology in school, I had a notepad and my grandparents had a pond. I would sit by the pond with a notepad and just write down, I would watch a frog go from a little tiny tadpole, come back like a day later or a couple of days later or so. And I would watch that whole species grow, that whole thing evolve. I got super interested in that because I think they're cute as tadpoles. When they turn into giant frogs, I'm like, I want to lick you, but I was told not to. Reptiles and amphibians are perfect um, predators of harmful prey, such as mice, rats that carry disease, flies, mosquitoes. So they are the perfect predator to remove those. And they are not a transporter of disease themselves, meaning you're not going to get disease from touching a, a snake or a lizard or a frog or a salamander. You're not going to get any um, things like Lyme disease or, or, or something that's going to kill you. The only thing you have to worry about is being bitten and envenomated by venomous. Poison is, is something that you touch and makes you sick or you consume and makes you sick. Venom is something that is injected. And certain um, frogs have poison on their skin, but not here in the United States. We don't have to worry about the that. Amazon. Yeah, it's the Amazon. We don't have to worry about that. So the only thing for, for reptiles you have to um, worry about is being injected by their venom. And so if you give those snakes that you are easily identified their space and respect, that's never gonna happen. But someone like you that finds them fascinating, I encourage you to get out there and do some herping, which is what I do. And that isn't trolling for for trim like you did as a young man. It's Damn. actually going out <laughs> and looking for these guys. And sometimes it, it takes a lot of work. It takes all day. And it's um, a hell of a lot of fun when you do finally achieve the success of your target species that you've been looking for or that you wanted to check off, like birders go for their bird list, herpers go for lifers. And lifers are something you've never seen before in your life. These are just terms that we as herpers use. A lifer is the something you've never found before, and it's your first one. You call that your lifer. And most herpers never forget their first lifer of a rattlesnake or lifer copperhead or lifer coral snake or lifer alligator in the wild. Most like type. seeing like a baby born, your first child or something. There's that moment where like I'm gonna love this thing forever. It's more like a something that hits you or overcomes you. I think everybody has something like that in whatever they're super interested in for sure. I mean, when you see something beautiful, I mean, I've been to Hawaii and I've seen, you know, I've been on top of Diamond Head, this giant ass mountain I had to hike and seeing up there, just seeing the beauty, it's like wow. I mean, my town is a beach town, but it. I think this is, leads into. All right, so do you want the serious question first or the funny question? The serious question. Okay, so a lot that happens to do with what's going on with these lizards and stuff too. Like for me, I don't get to be able to experience these as much as you're able to because of the fact is we're destroying the earth a little bit, but in a way that's different, more like we're building too much and we're taking out a lot of this beautiful land, which I'm starting to notice every single day. I grew up camping. I grew up around, you know, going through the forest, um, you know, bonfires at night, you know, looking for sticks, coming across weird animals, the little furry caterpillars, still don't know what they're called. I call them woolly. Um, but 
nowadays we're seeing the same houses built right beside each other look exactly the same no distinct differences and it's just communities i mean my buddy lives out in the middle of the country what used to be country and the past year now they've built so many community homes where they're just empty there's nobody living in them and they're trying to sell them as fast as possible me and him used to go through the woods and look for things and just first of all use that as a way to get to the store but it was fun you get lost on an adventure now they're golf courses i'm like all this is going to be gone and sooner or later you're going to be at a point where you're just going to be finding these animals in a museum people are going to have to sit there and put them in little tanks or keep them at their house or you know just to be able to educate people on them because we're not caring anymore field trips aren't happening to the museums anymore as much as they used to when i was a kid now you can do virtual reality i'm like it's not the same thing when you go to the aquarium and you see the stingray in the tank and you can touch them, you can pet them. You can't do that in virtual reality. You don't get that same feel. No, and that's why I encourage you to get out while you can, while you still have the opportunity. In California, it's magnified. We have 20 million people here in our state and new communities are popping up every weekend. Um, so we lose our herping sites regularly. And one of my favorite places to find spadefoot toads, which are a super cool and rare toad out here, is now under threat to be plowed under. And so I might miss that. And I've been checking out these spadefoot toads in this population for 15 years. And this past season, I've only seen one at the most, three, two, sometimes none, mostly none, in a place I used to find dozens of them. So it's very frustrating and heartbreaking to see here in our generation, we, we just have no respect for these creatures whatsoever and just toss them under as, well, we're just going to have to just, you know, this is development. Do you think that's pretty funny that you can come across a vegan that talks about the killing of animals and they go and step on a spider or go step on a reptile or want to build up an, a juice bar right down the street in this giant forest area because they want a juice bar, but they won't eat a cow, but they don't care anything about these beautiful reptiles. I mean, the biggest problem that you probably face besides you know trying to find these creatures is the fact of human encroachment. I mean, the idea that we are leaving this giant, first of all, whole entire thing of animals just completely uneducated to the audience i mean you're taught a little bit about them in school if your teacher is like a reptile fanatic or something like i had a teacher that had a pet snake in the classroom you know it was it was cool and i mean i remember so many times i had classrooms where they had a turtle or some fish in there and i mean that's what i would stare at that got me through math class shout out to whatever your that turtle name was good god i think his name was sheldon um, but like, you know, it's those things though, that like a lot of people need to start experiencing, especially at a young age, even now. I mean, when you go into Petco, you're always going for the same exact things. The stuff, you know, you like, well, go out of the comfort zone to learn a little bit more about another animal. I mean, I took the time to learn how to get turtles into my pond when I built a koi pond at one point. Um, I tried frogs. That was a bad idea. You learn that frogs are very, um, what is that? So, God. It starts with an O. Ammonia. Yeah, they raised the ammonia levels in the water that I didn't realize, and that was actually hurting the fish, so I had to move those to a different location. But it's cool to experience, man, because once the pond was over with, all the fish had, after like a year, I ended up dying. Um, 
you know, these, it was a home for frogs and it's still a frog pond. Now they hop in and out. It's cool to see them just sit there and the noises they make too. It's pretty magnificent. Like a bullfrog sounds like a banjo string. You know, what's that funny question? Oh, you wanted the funny question. Okay. So <laughs> I was, was going to lead it in kind of, but I was saying <laughs> there's a way to use reptiles to fix problems or animals like this to fix problems going on in the world and i think a major one you brought up was the fact of population when it comes to these small animals that nobody else wants to see such as mice all these other things you don't want in your house so i'm thinking new york has a rat problem is it possible we can snakes on a plane them such as drop a bunch of nice killing um of whatever rats or mice uh, type snakes down there that aren't going to affect people as much and just let them loose and see what happens to the rat population. Because I don't know if you've seen the rat population in New York. There's actually two subclasses now. There's regular rats and there's a fucking New York rat. And these things are the size of like my coffee thermos here, this giant thing. Actually, they're way bigger than that. And what people are doing is they're hanging them in the subways, the subway systems, because when a one rat sees that, they're smart enough to know not to go to that area. So they're just hanging them around the subways to ward them off. I'm like, let's just snakes on a plane it. Let's fucking drop some snakes down there and see what happens in like a, a month or so. I bet you the population will go down. That's uh, a, a, a question and a solution that's been posed over time with other animals, with reptiles, with, with things, and it never works out. It never works out. For example, at the uh, Conservatory Flowers out in San Francisco, they had some problems with cockroaches, so they thought they would move geckos in because um, geckos are cute and they reproduce naturally with very little assistance. You know, they could lay their eggs in a lot of the pots out there, so they introduced these geckos. Well, the geckos hunt during the, the uh, day when, and when the cockroaches are out during the night. So it was very poor planning and it didn't solve anything. And if you're going to then add a bunch of snakes to a rat infested environment, they're going to then overpopulate themselves because there has to be a population balancing, as it were. And nobody will want a shit ton of snakes of any type in the city i will take a giant snake over one of these fucking rats i have never seen anything so monstrous in my entire life i'm like that's the size of three foot flops stacked on top of each other i'm like size 14 foot flops i'm just happy i mean at least you said somebody had already thought of it um so i don't feel like an idiot i just feel like the guy that was like let's send people into space and then forgot to write down you need an astronaut suit so then like people are just jumping out of the space pod, you know, just dying because they don't, they can't breathe. So I'm like, I feel like that guy. So I'm not completely off. I was on the right track. Is there a way possible that we can be able to maybe use or utilize maybe some of these abilities uh, towards like with reptiles or snakes or amphibians or anything, any certain perks that they have? Actually, one thing that we can do as responsible pet owners is not to release them in the wild thinking we're doing something right with that turtle or that snake. In Florida, they have all kinds of exotic animals that are thriving out in wild populations that are killing the native species because of that. So if we just have some awareness that, hey, even if we're a pet owner, that pet, no matter what it is, 
you need to be responsible. For example, cats. A lot of people think it's fine for cats to go outside and kill all the native birds and, and reptiles and amphibians or wildlife. Cats do a lot of damage. Similarly, if you have a python and you think that's a really cool pet, that's fine. But people have let them go in Florida and now there's a python problem in Florida. And pythons can eat in it anything in Florida that is native, including alligators. And I'm sure everyone's seen that uh, vi video or the picture of the python that got too greedy and punctured its belly by trying to eat a, an adult alligator. That's how big these pythons can get. Of course, nothing can stop them. So as pet owners, think about what you got and don't release it or don't let it go out in wild and kill stuff aimlessly. Why do people go to Florida? That's the biggest question I think I have in this podcast now, because I watched a video of a guy on a motorcycle hitting an alligator like a speed bump, and he flipped over the handlebars. I was like, Jesus, like, these things are just out there. Like, they're dinosaurs, and we just look at them like, that's a gator. It's like, why are you sitting on its head? What are you doing? Don't, don't do that. That's not respectful. You think that thing can't kill you? I mean, I get it if you their mouths are closed, but I don't know. I think uh, now I kind of want to move on to the portion where if we're going to go on a trip, if you're going to take me on one of these little hiking adventures, you're mm -hmm. going to take me on one of these herptology hunts. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an honorary herp hound now that I've least studied it, but now it's time to prove my worth. Take me through what you normally would when you're teaching a class or if you're taking a student on one of these. Sure. Uh, and thank you for asking. One of the first things I like to find out from my students and or herpers on a first trip is what their familiarity is with reptiles and what was the very first thing they ever encountered and whether or not it was a positive experience and what they remembered about it. That kind of gives me a framework of what to build from. And then I kind of set the outline of what we're going to find, hopefully find, because there's no guarantees. However, most of my students know that when you're out with me, we're always going to find something whether it's a reptile or, or an amphibian, we always are gonna find something. And so what we'll um, usually do is talk about what we're gonna find. For example, took these two um, biologists out the other day and we we're going to find spadefoot toads. And I said, okay, these spadefoot toads, if we find them, we're gonna be very lucky because they're under these types of threats. And what can we do as individuals to protect them or learn about them and help preserve their species. And I think that's kind of the action message that I wanna instill on my students and people that I take out is, hey, it's, it, it is a lot of fun to find them. It is a lot of fun to, to learn about them, but we can do something even better. And that's what we can do is, is, is try to save them in our environment just by passing on that little bit of knowledge and, and respect for these animals. I think I learned a little something when we do our space launches and stuff. They have a person that goes out there, I think, a couple hours before the launch. And what they'll do is they'll search around the area for all these geckos and lizards as much as they can possibly find and try and move them out of the harm's way. 
of uh, the blast radius of one of these rockets as well. I mean, that's got to be a shitty job just because you're trying to find basically a needle in a haystack. But at the same time, I think that's interesting that we have stuff like that out there. I mean, like, just like I explained to you in 45 minutes, basically, of my experience with reptiles and all these types of things, that first question, I think that's important because it shows some things you need to clear up. But I mean, how hard is it for you to, on one of these hunts, like you talked about before, like coming across less and less, like it's got to be kind of a bummer if you don't really find anything or if you, you know, don't find a whole lot of what people are looking for. I think people have these eyes of like, I can go to the carnival and I can see the world's biggest snake or I can see this. It's like, it's not about finding the biggest. It's not finding about the, the most or whatever, the fastest, whatever. It's not about finding something that's super rare. It's about seeing something beautiful and that's nature itself. It's about being out there and that whole experience leading up to it. If you guys are going to camp, have lunch somewhere, eating a peanut butter jelly sandwich, next thing you know, freaking salamander rolls up to you. If it's me, I'm sharing a part of my sandwich, whether he eats it or not. I'm like, I ate a sandwich with a salamander today. What'd you do? Well, I was on Instagram for a couple hours and, you know, did this and that, sent a couple DMs and tried to do some herp pounding down here uh, at the bar. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I herp pounded for real, man. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and it is fun. That's why I usually make sure there is certain guarantees to find something or appreciate something out in nature, whether or not it's some wildflowers or just the environment. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk about my uh, passion and, and conservation message that I like to impart on others. Cause a lot of people um, think that there's not enough time or, or energy to put into the environment these days, cause it's a forgotten cause, but there is, and just to kind of give you a, an example, one of the most beautiful reptiles we have out here is the San Francisco garter snake. And certain um, that snake is the colors of the Rastafari flag. It is so cool. It is red, green, yellow, and black. It is fantastic and colorful. And when you find one of those that are super rare, you're so thrilled, but they have put aside a couple of preserves where now you can see them pretty commonly. And one is a national park where you can also see elephant seals. So after we get together and we do see that there is some value to this as a collective society, we can come out and see these things that are super rare and, and, and enjoy them for everybody. I would like, I have a, proposal i want to shoot your way kind of like i'm selling a pitch but i think i know you're teaching classes and going on these hounds but have you ever thought about maybe starting a movement or trying to start an organization where we can get together get a bunch of signatures together or do something to help save some of this land or just trying to educate more people on it i mean i know you have your instagram page where you can show people you know these types of animals and teach people a little bit too but you seem like somebody that could easily start an organization not a cult an organization that could be so beneficial to all these things and i'd be your first participant dude i'd sign up right away because i think the way you speak about these things is the same way you see somebody that's super interested in something has a passion for i always talk about if i was going to be a boss if i was going to own a giant company i would look at the resumes with people with all their various degrees but then i would ask them a simple question why do you want the job and they tell me if it's a paycheck 
okay, good answer, not the one I'm looking for. I'll hire a person off the street that's like, I've loved this my whole entire life. I think this is awesome. I will do every because that person in their free time is going to be doing the research, is going to be doing that, not ordering a chicken salad sandwich from fucking McDonald's or ordering a Starbucks or something. You like the specific with the chicken salad sandwich? And then uh <laughs> like I, I look at that, I'm like, it's people like you that like, I, I, I really thank you. I, I appreciate the, you know, everything for you coming out and doing the podcast. And the reason why is I see the importance of this where a lot of people would just gloss over it. And I don't think that's fair because this is important thing. Herptology, just like any passion is anything anybody's interested in. I definitely am a pro advocate when it comes to People that need a voice, obviously. I mean, I'm not a giant platform, but I mean, just having my conversation with you has completely opened my eyes to reptiles. I kind of want to go out and look for some. Don't know about touching them yet. I'm definitely going to have to work that one up to like the, you know, working up to a herb pound. You got to buy a couple of drinks before you get there. But I think <laughs> for sure that you should definitely start an organization. Has that ever been in your thoughts to maybe try and do a nonprofit or something? Thank you. And now that I have more free time, you give me um, encouragement to think that way and to, and and maybe grow that way, um, because I am certainly passionate about trying to save them and not just being um, a voice of one, but a voice of many could be very beneficial. And so, thank you. I, I'll certainly consider that and, and make inroads toward trying petitions and more being more of an advocate maybe even starting my own who knows what save the salamanders yeah like just some um, my buddy justin that was on this podcast about like 300 episodes ago you know me and him talked about tobacco and you know cigars and stuff because i thought that's what you know he was about and then he starts telling me he's into herptology and that whole conversation went a completely different direction i mean we're sitting there talking to him he owns his own reptile shop so he's sitting there around a whole bunch of snakes and stuff showing me on camera i'm like whoa we're not video, but okay, this is awesome. And um, you know, I'm sitting there talking to him, dude. I'm more than happy. I'm gonna send him your information and stuff. Send him who you are. See if he'll reach out, get you on his herptology podcast, where he has other fellow herptologists. I think I'm saying that right. It really sounds funny when I say. Um, that would be great. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. I think Please that would do. be perfect too, because I think you guys could definitely bond on that. And I really appreciate you coming out and doing the podcast, man. Is there anything you want to promote Instagram page, anything, anything you want to leave people with um, such as where they can find you or even just some words of wisdom when they come across these creatures? Certainly. I appreciate it. And uh, you can find me on my Instagram, which is her pound H E R P H O U N D nine, five, six, six, one, which is my zip code here in Roseville. Uh, California. It's in Northern California. And also where you are, you visit your national aquarium. There's a fantastic reptile and amphibian exhibit in Baltimore at the national aquarium. That's a fantastic place to go. I've been there and, in, and enjoyed uh, learning about some of the poison dart frogs of the Amazons. They have a great exhibit there. That's where I learned why they're from there is from that freaking aquarium. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> well, thank thanks you for so having me. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast and stay tuned for our next episode.